This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. It's a pleasure to be here. And the first thing I should say is I'm not actually a nutritionist. Um, but I've had a very long-standing interest in what contributes to the developmental variation uh, in people at a population level. Now, of course, if one wants to follow up that interest, um, one needs a population. (laughs) And uh, um, being a geneticist, I also not only wanted the the children, uh, but also uh, both parents. So Jean Golding and I... uh, uh, set up the Avon Longitudinal Study of uh, uh, Parents and Children um, in the late 80s. Um, And um, that has a wealth of uh, uh, information about nutrition and so on. And uh, so that's partly, I think, why I was asked to talk. Um, The first thing I would say right at the start is that the developmental variation... In, uh, we see in the population is not just down to the DNA code that you've inherited from your parents and the prevailing environment. There is a lot, a lot more to that, and I hope to bring that out in this talk. Now, um, nutrition and human cognitive development and evolution is an absolutely massive topic. topic. So, I had to focus on something, and Ardine was the one. This is one of the many minerals and vitamins that are absolutely essential for normal uh, cognitive development. And, of course, it operates um, uh, through the thyroid. I'm then going to uh, look to the payoff between a large enough birth canal and uh, maintaining uh, a body size in the face of variable food supply. And along the way, I will point to the evidence that information about the early life uh, nutritional experience of uh, parents and grandparents is biologically transmitted to the next generations along with the genes. Now, the story of Ardine deficiency. This is an admirable um, uh, statement here um, from uh, UNICEF. Ardine deficiency is so easy to prevent that it is a crime to let a single child be born mentally handicapped for that reason. Well, I'm going to demonstrate that it's not as simple as all that. The message which will keep coming back is what happened in the previous generation that sets the scene for the current. And, but there was a bit of luck in the early days. Uh, iodized oil was developed as a contrast to use in x-rays. So when you were looking at, uh, for TB and so on, you could see the um, cysts and, uh, and uh, so on. And it had already been proven to be safe to be injected in uh, humans. And so this gentleman um, in, in, the, uh, in New Guinea, he had this nodular goiter of his thyroid, and um, uh, we um, uh, can see that that was reduced uh, within just three months. But what about um, the uh, less severe end of the spectrum? Now, this is the Ausback cohort data, and you will see that um, 
On the top, we've got um, the verbal IQ to uh, the left, and then the, the total IQ, and uh, then the reading accuracy and the reading comprehension below. And this is in relation to the maternal urinary iodide concentration in the first stages of pregnancy, the first trimester. In fact, during the first trimester, the, uh, the fetus itself is not generating uh, very much um, iodine. I think the point I want to point, uh, show here is that it isn't an all-or-none situation. Even the uh, suboptimal uh, situation here uh, is, um, uh, of iodine has a significant reduction in uh, verbal IQ. And um, at the bottom, uh, as I say, we have uh, the maternal concentration. So uh, clearly, uh, and one thing I should say uh, before leaving this, is that it's the verbal IQ that has been replicated when you bring all the different studies together from different populations. So, uh, and you can see it's the more significant one here. So that's uh, uh, the thing to hang on to there. So Ardeen is uh, central to the thyroid system, and, uh, which is central to the cognition. You're, you'll note that uh, um, uh, the thyroid hormones here, which are produced by the thyroid gland, uh, and stimulated the thyroid gland to produce them from the anterior pituitary and the hypothalamus. They have uh, uh, T3 has three iodines and uh, T4 uh, four iodines. So you can see the connection. And we uh, and uh, thyroid hormones are, are, are crucial for increasing metabolism, growth, and development of all sorts, and also the uh, maintaining the flight and, and fight uh, uh, response. The thing that we need to emphasize is this negative feedback system. The negative feedback system is sensitized to developmental experiences and adjusts for the long term. Also, that it's not just uh, the long term of the individual, but even uh, can uh, across the generations. And it's maintaining brain plasticity. Uh, thyroid hormones tends to um, make cells uh, reach their um, um, full uh, uh, differentiation. And if you want plasticity, that's got to be delayed. But what about this uh, situation across the generations? Well, this just takes us to the lovely uh, island of uh, San Miguel uh, in the Azores. And there was a natural experiment which assessed the Trans non-genetic transmission of uh, altered thyroid function down the generations. There was an ancestor uh, five or six generations back who had a very rare standard genetic monogenic uh, mutation involving one of the thyroid uh, hormone receptors and which meant that 50% of her children would inherit that mutation. Now, the ones who did not inherit the mutation, they were, of course, exposed to the very large dose of thyroid. It's as if the mother, um, uh, during pregnancy, was the environment, a very high dose of uh, uh, thyroid. And they followed the uh, genetically unaffected males um, down for three generations, um, from that exposure 
and uh, this induced uh, and what happened was that the exposure led to uh, a low sensitivity to thyroid hormone but remarkably it was then transmitted on long after uh, that uh, situation now we move to the bonobos they uh, live in communities and there's a a two year uh, bonobo project that I'm referring to and uh, here's a picture of them fishing for um, in this case the uh, white uh, water lily the Congo Basin, where they live, is known to be iodine deficient. And so um, it was particularly interesting to look at the uh, mineral content of the various uh, uh, things that were found in these fishing trips. They uh, go to the swamp during this two years of observation. Uh, They would go every two weeks, and when they were there, they would be... um, uh, spend about 96 hours um, feeding. Uh, they would go with um, their um, uh, all the adult uh, bonobos would go uh, and feed. So would uh, the juveniles and the older infant uh, uh, bonobos. So they analysed what they were eating, and they found that they were particularly going for the stem of this lotus. They would discard all the rest, but just choose the stem. And that had uh, uh, this iodine content of uh, uh, milligrams per kilogram dry matter. And um, then they went for the pith of the the juncus, which is a form of reed, which I've uh, shown here. And again, it's the root root just under the water that they go for. And that has 7.4. Uh, Ardine uh, level, and that is comparable to the um, uh, um, algae along the coast. And it ties in with uh, the notion that early uh, hominids uh, tended to be on the coast because there was a ready supply of Ardine. Now, interestingly, you might say, well, what about the humans uh, in, in, in the Congo Basin? Most of them and this is why it got an iodine deficient classification by the, the WHO, is that um, um, they show symptoms of iodine deficiency. The only exception that didn't show marked symptoms of iodine, iodine deficiency in a large proportion were the uh, Ife tribe, but they're a tribe of pygmies. And uh, the speculation is that um, the um, relative lack of iodine there, um, there were genetic uh, mutations, uh, variants that uh, selected for, so that they basically became pygmies. They wouldn't grow so much, so there was so so much less demand. Now, these next people are certainly not pygmies. The Neanderthal. Now we're all we're all um, uh, in a way related to the Neanderthal. All of us, most of us in this uh, audience, would have Neanderthal DNA uh, in us. And uh, uh, a group this size, you could construct a very large part of the Neanderthal uh, genome uh, genome sequence. Now, as you can see here, the Neanderthals 
are big, they have big heads, and they have wide pelvises. And uh, that fits with the pattern that if you have a large brain and a large cranium, you need a wide uh, pelvis and a birth canal. So you have to have a big size. And then the problem comes, what if there is lack of food? What are the variations in the food supply? Unless, of course, there's a different strategy, that the baby is born relatively early in development and can be successfully nurtured by the group as the brain develops, the development continues. And one can wonder, was this the virtuous circle uh, for the emergence of modern humans? That uh, just because of the food supply and everything else, the variation in it, um, they needed to have smaller babies born earlier, but that strategy would only survive and work if there was that cooperative nurturing and so on. So now let's look at the uh, situation uh, with regard to the the, uh, previous generations. Now, uh, what we have here is uh, the situation. We're all inside our mothers for, um, you know, nine months, and uh, uh, it's a sort of Russian doll effect. And Chris uh, Kosowa refers to this integrated um, nutritional circle, uh, 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 signal. So you have this intergenerational phenotypic inertia. What he's really saying is that um, uh, when there's a swing in the food supply, um, you don't suddenly get babies being born bigger or smaller. Uh, There's a sort of um, something that integrates the past experience. But what about the father's? Now, these are human males, uh, uh, human, human males, sorry, they're human, they're human, they're human sperm uh, from, uh, and um, the question is, uh, do they carry information about the uh, ancestral environment? Well, we looked at this in northern Sweden. Uh, some of you may have seen the, fo- the film uh, uh, um, The Ghost in Your Genes, and um, it was a, s- a relatively small study. It was obviously started by uh, uh, Professor Bigren. And uh, uh, we had uh, 303 probands. They are essentially uh, the grandchildren that uh, we would know what they died of and what, what their mortality rate was. Um, and then the food supply of the father's father when he was very young, uh, before puberty. So the way we can look at it is that this is the grandfather's age. This is the grandson's mortality risk ratio. So if it's over one, uh, they're dying early. You can see that a good food supply during this period leads to increased mortality of the grandsons. And a poor food supply leads to increased longevity of the... um, uh, grandsons. So this is what we're seeing. The f- food supply between the ages of 10 and 12 coming down through the father to the grandson. No effect on the granddaughters, uh, but quite a significant uh, 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 increase in 
uh, mortality. Now, the good news is that this has now been replicated by uh, Denny Vergero and his colleagues in 2018. So we have um, um, this original paper, um, and it was the sex-specific male line um, uh, response that uh, we were particularly focusing on. He looked at it and found that exactly the same. He did exactly what they did in the overcolic study in terms of the timings and everything else, all based on the uh, record harvest records and so on. Um, and um, he found the paternal grandfather's access to f- food at this critical uh, uh, mid-childhood period uh, predicts all-cause um, and also cancer mortality in grandsons. And uh, uh, this is um, the uh, uh, important take-home message, is it's the poor food supply that leaves the grandsons living longer. And my conclusions are this. Mother's nutrition affects her baby's IQ. We've just seen the example of the Ardeen. Mother's nutritional experience is a composite of hers and of her own parents in terms of the signals passed on to her own offspring. And we, the father tran- transmits information about his own father's access to food in mid-childhood uh, to his future offspring. This influence to the grandson's longevity is on longevity at present, but cognitive studies are awaited. And these are the people I would like to thank. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.